Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. We preach, um, we preach and teach about this guy named Jesus who existed. And, and uh, uh, I was just where he grew up. And trust me, everybody over there knows that he existed. So uh, when your neighbors say, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, um, everybody else who grew up where he lives, used to live, uh, believes in him. So it's it's definitely a, a real deal. But you're welcome to believe whatever you want and come here. We, we're glad you come here and, and uh, hear the word of God. We believe the Bible is powerful. That it'll change your life. That this book um, doesn't just, it isn't just a good teaching. It isn't like a, you know, a good place to find memes to put on your Facebook for inspiration for the day, even though that is true. But it actually speaks to your life and it will change your life as you listen to it. So because of that, we preach through books of the Bible because we want to know Jesus more. We believe the more we know Jesus, if I know more about Jesus today, if I, if I try to act more like him today, I'll, I'll, I'll grow into who I'm supposed to be and what God originally designed me to be when he formed me in my mother's womb. That's pretty powerful, that God would form you before he ever put you in your mother's womb. Every person, not just pastors, not just, uh, you know, politicians, Lord help them, um, not just uh, the great people, not just the pope, not, and every person. He's formed you and has a plan for your life. And as we look into the word of God, we become more like what he designed when he started. Have you ever just been lost and you felt like, God, I need to know what you want me to do? Yeah? And so that's why we're here today. And so as we look into the book of Romans, the book of Romans is a letter to a group of people who lived in Rome. They were, they were Christians and they followed Jesus. They were Christians at one of the most um, evil times of the world. Uh, however, it was the, one of the most uh, uh, prosperous times. The, the Roman Empire was growing, and you've heard about Caesars and how they would conquer. They would go out and conquer people, and then, um, I'm, a, I'm a history nut, so they would conquer Germany, and then they could never conquer, like, Ireland. Um, I'm, a, I'm a history nut, so this is, I'm, a, I'm into all this. But as they conquered, they would just bring in the beliefs of every single uh, country that they would conquer, and so you had a lot of paganism, you had a lot of Satan worship, you had a lot of people just, you know, making sacrifices for everything, I mean, just completely evil, and they were just like, it's fine, do whatever you want, so then because of this, as long as you followed their rules, you could make your own rules under their rules, does that make sense? So if, as long as they followed the, the, the main rules of Rome, they could do whatever they wanted underneath, and so because of that, there was lots of different varieties of beliefs, practices, and all of that stuff. And so it, it got to be in really evil times. So you had lots of, of different sexual practices that happened. They had temples where they would just go and have orgies. Um, they had every uh, kind of Roman dignitary would have boys on the side that he called, uh, they were called his pupils. He would teach them and he would also have sex with them. Um, those kinds of things were happening. Just a, a really strange time. During this time, uh, they started to blame Christians for things. You heard of Nero? Anybody ever seen a peace sign? A peace sign is the cross of Nero. It is the cross of Jesus Christ turned upside down and broken. When I was, when I was seventh, uh, no, seventh grade, I wanted to wear a peace sign necklace, and my dad was like, no, you cannot wear that. And I was like, Dad, it means peace. He's like, no, that means death to Christians. Um, but, it was, it, but what Nero did is he was so against the Christians that he blamed these fires that happened in Rome on the Christians. 
so that people would start to, to kill the Christians. And so he would, he would have a big gala, uh, you know, a big exciting event and a big party, and he would take Christians and, and stake them around the event, light them on fire so they would provide light for everybody to see. Okay, this is what was happening in Rome, and there's Christians that existed during this time. Paul is talking to these Christians and trying to encourage them and tell them about the truth of their relationship with God. It's pretty exciting when you think about that we can look into this letter and pull something out of it, especially in a time where people want to say Christianity is under attack, and, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but we are not under that kind of persecution yet. So as we begin to look into the truth of God's relationship with us, it's not found in how many times you took communion. It's not found in how many times you were baptized. It's not found in how many times you went to Israel. It's not found in how many times you went to church. It's not found in, in how good you are or bad you are. Your salvation, your life as a Jesus follower is found in Jesus Christ and his provision for you. And when he provides for you, what happens is your life begins to change and you begin to live more like God designed you to be. That's what we believe. So we're looking into Romans chapter 6. If you're ready, say amen. All right, here we go. If we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil's desires. Do not offer... Any part of yourself to sin is an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of God. It's powerful. It's effective. It does things in our life that we're not really sure could happen any other way. And Lord, we are believing today that your effective grace would grow us to the place you've dreamed us to be. Mold us, make us, we submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as in Israel, Israel is uh, the size of New Jersey, but it's a land um, in, in the Middle East. And, and it showed us a picture, and it was like, you know, this circle of Israel, um, the country. And they, they would show like, Asia over here, and Europe over here, and Africa over here, and the whole world kind of hinges on this Israel thing, okay? Um, and, and here's the thing about Israel. It all is kind of determined to be important in, in this place because of God. Because God had this guy named Abraham and was like, here is the land that you will have, and it became important because of God. Other than that, it's just another place, right? It'd be like driving through Kansas, it would just be like driving, you know, through uh, Canada. Nobody likes to drive through Canada, right? 
Canada's cool like when you come up on something. Like, oh, this is really cool. And then you have to drive for like another 24 hours to get to something cool. Other than that, it's just trees, right? You know what I'm talking about? And anybody else driving, driven through Canada? Like, when is this going to be over, right? Like driving through the desert, Albuquerque to Flagstaff. Flagstaff to Barstow. It's just like, wow, this is cool for a second, but when are we going to be there? But for some reason, this place is, is somewhat magical. It's, it's this unique place where God has chosen his people to be. And, and out of that is this place where Jesus is. And you go there, and I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to somebody. It's like, um, you know, we, we spent eight days there, and, and we walked. And it's like, I was like, it's crazy how everything here is something. Everything is something. Like, you just drive around like we're at the Sea of Galilee. Like, we're staying on one side. It's not a very big sea. It's actually more like a lake, and you can drive around it. And uh, it's like, he's like, right over here is this. Right over here. And you, you're like, I know that. It's like, I've never been here before, but I know these places. And then you go, and then he's like, he's like, go in here. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000. It's like, wow. That's a big deal. And then you go over here. It's like, this is where Jesus made breakfast for Peter. This is where Jesus probably would have walked on water because they were right there and they were sailing to over here. It's like, that's not very far at all. You start thinking about all these things being very close. And then you're like, this is the town where Jesus was born. This is the place where Jesus grew up. This is the place where Jesus preached the, the sermon on the mount. And you go over here. This is where Jesus taught his disciples. And it's just like, you drive for a little bit, and then you're just like, here's something. Here's something. Here's something. It becomes so important. And then eventually, towards the end of the trip, they, they drive us to Jerusalem and go, this right here is the place where Jesus died. Died. And you walk the path where Jesus carried the cross, and then you, this is the place where he probably hung on the cross right here. And this is the place where they buried his body. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. I went to the place where they buried his body, and I've been to lots of places where they bury bodies because I'm a pastor, right? We're the ones in charge of being there and ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and they lower them down. You throw flowers on the casket. You, you talk to the family and say, bless you, I'm praying for you. I'm so sorry for your loss. And, and I, I've been to lots of those places. Every one of those places are full. I went to the tomb of Jesus Christ where they said, this is where Jesus was buried, and guess what? It's empty. Everybody agrees that he died. Everybody agrees that he died. He was there. This is where Jesus, historically, died and was buried. Dead. Dead. And so here we are in Romans. He says, Jesus died. He reiterates it again. He died. And then we go to the tomb, and he's not there. You know, you can't just lay flowers and be like, you know, Memorial Day. Hey, here it is. He's not there. Nobody knows where he is. They can't find him. Why? Because he's raised to life. Raised to life. As a matter of fact, the history books tell us that um, after he was raised to life, people actually saw him. Not just the 12. That would be kind of like conspiracy. The 12 disciples would be like, yeah, we saw him. <laughs> and of course, you guys saw him. Your life depends on it. He was seen by nearly 500 people after his resurrection. Resurrection is a weird thing. Because we think that means like, oh, but it's more like this. He got up and he actually took off his grave clothes, like so he's wrapped like a mummy. He took them, folded them up. The Bible says that they saw his grave clothes there, and he was alive. 
And then he went around and started like, talking to people. He went around and found his 12 disciples. Most of his disciples did not believe that he was alive. A couple ladies went to go to the tomb. They're like, hey, he's not there. And, you know, men, they usually don't believe ladies anyway. Right? Right, ladies? You got to, like, you know, search Google and bring books. And even then they're like, eh, I don't believe it. <laughs> but another dude comes along and is like, I think, you, you know, you got to live around. Like, oh, really? Oh, man. Right? So the dudes run, John and Peter, they run to the, the, the tomb, and they, they look in there, and he's not there. He's not there. And then they go back, and they tell the others, they're like, hey, uh, you know, he's really not there. These ladies aren't crazy. And Thomas, we know him as Doubting Thomas, Thomas says, I won't believe it till I can stick my hands in his scars. Now, that sounds so holy, doesn't it? <laughs> if I could just put my hands on his scars. You know what he's saying? He was saying the most sarcastic thing he could possibly say at the moment. I wouldn't believe it unless I could see him and touch him. The scars in his hands because I saw him die. What's the first thing Jesus does when he comes back? He says, hey, Thomas, I got you, bro. And he lets him touch him. It's amazing that Jesus goes from death to life. He proves it. He shows it to his disciples. He goes and finds Peter, who's gone off to fish, not because he was he liked to, you know, uh, pass time on the lake like Jeremy Ramazan. He, he was out there trying to make a living again because he lost his job security with Jesus. He went back to fishing. Jesus goes and finds him, makes him breakfast. All good men make breakfast, just so you know. And he reveals his resurrection. Last week, Pastor talked to us about sold out. And he showed you pictures of baptism and all stuff. And this baptism that we do, and as, as Christians, we, we, we go down into water. We lay, lay down and we come back up. It's a visual representation of, of death and resurrection. Okay? Jesus actually did it. He had water baptism and, and came back up. And, uh, but Paul begins to talk about here about how Jesus was died, was dead, and resurrected. For real, not just like in the water, but for real. He says, you and I are just like that. We're baptized into his death. And we're raised to life. Now here's the thing. If you go to Israel, you're going to see all these evidences that Jesus was dead. That he was alive and dead. You're also going to see things temples and, and all these places and, and, and religious uh, structures, you're going to be like, wow, these people believe that Jesus rose again. Jesus rose again, and they, they staked their life on it. They staked their life on it. Now, the whole purpose of this Jesus life was not to have great structures, to have great temples, to have great churches, to have a bunch of buses rolling around Jerusalem. Like, where did Jesus walk? Where did Jesus walk? That's not why Jesus died. The whole purpose of Jesus dying and raising again is so that you, right here in Excelsior Springs, could live a new life. And so he says, you are dead and then alive. Now, there's enough people that get religious and all they can think about is their death. 
all they can think about. They may say they're alive, but they're living dead. They're living a life that says, well, you know, I'm just so lovely. I'm just not enough. I just don't add up. And they never live in this place where Jesus lived. Because the Bible says that he died and then death could do nothing to him anymore. Because what power does death have over you after you die? Right? It's like you can't do anything more, right? I love people that have nothing left to lose. You know, they're just like, you know, kill me. It's fine. You know what I mean? Enough of us don't really even have it. We can't even grasp that concept. Nothing left to lose. Fight till death. It's fine. It would be better for me to die. I love people like that. They have clarity. They're not wishy-washy. Right? Jesus sets his face towards dying because once he dies, death has no more power over him. How much of, how much of your life is about you Preserving your health. Figuring out how to have a quality of life. Get your kids, you know, a place to live. Provide for them to go to Christmas. Had to take a vacation. Take care of your wife. Have a car to drive that you actually kind of like. That works. Some say, ah, I just need one that works. That's fine. It's your quality of life that you want. And we're all about preserving that. We want good health. We want to feel good, right? Ladies, you know when a, a man gets a cold, it's the end of the world, right? We want to feel good. We want to live well, all that. So then we come to Jesus. Somebody says, well, you know, have you been saved? Now, if you didn't get saved at an early age, you're like, why do I need to be saved? Well, because God will give you better life. Try to convince people of this life that will be better if they have Jesus. Seems kind of crazy. He's like, well, the Bible talks about how we're supposed to lose our life, and we try to sell people a better life. We try to sell people a place of living that feels like preservation. And so then we make up this whole story. It's like, well, once you come to Jesus, then you got to act like you don't have a life. You got to act like you're dead. You got to act like, you know, you gave it all to him, knowing full well you don't. You just exist every day trying to preserve yourself. Wishy-washy. Right in the middle. Just kind of hanging out. Paul tries to straighten it out. He goes, look, let's rewind. Jesus died so that he has to fear nothing. Death has no power over him. Not only that, he didn't just die and leave you a bunch of teachings. He was raised to life so that your life can go from existing, wishy-washy, mundane, self-preservation, trying to figure it all out. You can't get it figured out, so then you start a group where everybody sits around and goes, I don't know, I don't have it figured all out. And that can be a deep group. Or not very deep group. It could be just, you know, sitting around, drinking, smoking, until somebody says, you know what? I heard there's aliens out there. And you're like, yeah. And you sit and you get together and you smoke cigars and you, and you drink stuff. And, and you go, man, aliens. And then you, you get all involved in this thing. That's one group. Another group is over here. You know, we're mothers of, of uh, you know, preteens. Like, try to figure that out. Good luck. Self-preservation. 
just trying to figure out how you don't have it all figured out. But Jesus comes and he says, look, I want to give you life. And it starts with this. I will give you real life. Real life. Real life. Full. Overflowing. Not just the same mundane. Not just your preservation. Me living in you. Taking care of you. Showing you the truth. And deep down under this layer of not having it figured out, we have all of these things. The Bible calls it, uh, you know, body, soul, and spirit. When we're buried in baptism, what happens is, is we come back and we come alive in our spirit. And I talked about this before, but our soul's got all these hang-ups. It's got all these things and habits and all that stuff. I talked about my dad. He had heart surgery. He had a new heart, but he had old habits. He had to eat steamed vegetables. You know, he had to stop drinking all this, you know, whatever he drank. I don't know, what coffee? Is that all you drank? He had to stop, stop all of his bad habits. He had to change his patterns. He would, he would walk a lot. Like, my dad was not an exerciser. I'd be like, Dad, let's go out and exercise. But like, nah, I don't need that. Self-preserving, living in comfort. And all of a sudden, change had to happen to match what was happening on the inside. Jesus says, you'd be buried resurrected, like me. And that life is one that won't be self-preservation. It'll be transformation. Transformation. Transformation is difficult because it's hard to change. It's hard to change. Why is it hard to change? Most of us don't want to because we're self-preserving, right? You go to the gym and you're you know, like if, if you, you're really excited, you'll endure the pain long enough until you realize it's not really worth it. If you see the results in the first eight weeks, you're like, yes, I'll do this forever. You start buying new clothes, like these are my clothes forever. Six months later, you're back in the old clothes. Right? Money. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save money. I'm going to grow wealth. I'm going to leave an inheritance for my children. And you do that for, you know, a few months. Like, wow, it's, it's nice to have money. And then all of a sudden, you're like, you know what, I, I just... I just want to eat at McDonald's every day. So then you go back because the pain of self-preservation, enduring, I'm sorry, the, the, the self-preservation safety feels better than the pain of change. Everybody does it. Jesus didn't come for you to self-preserve, to feel better, any of that stuff. He came for you to be transformed. Transformation has to happen a layer at a time. And the first layer is your spirit. So what he does is he talks about Jesus. This is where he says, Jesus then has died and risen. He says, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And here's the, here's the shift because we usually don't believe we're living. You come to church and you make it a self-preservation club of, well, I'll be okay. I'm working through this. I'll be better next week. I'll be better next year. I'm going to grow little by little. And it's just this, 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 this thing of growing, changing little bit, changing here, changing there, but not changing at all. Not changing at all. Why? Because you're not willing to really 
live. How is life? How is life? Life is living in Jesus' life. Life is living in Jesus' life, which is perfect. So if your conversation goes like this, well, I'm not doing so hot today. I don't know. I'll always live with these problems. I'll always exist like this. I'll always have these hang-ups. I'll always have these troubles. I'll always, you know, but one day we'll make it to heaven and everything will go away. That's not the life that Jesus has come to live. Usually we're living in sins that Jesus has already died for. We're existing with problems that Jesus has already died for. We're existing with darkness, trouble, mindsets that Jesus has already died for. And he says, they're dead. And I'm alive. And he reigns. So then Paul says, if Jesus can die and rise to life, then what you have to do then is consider yourself dead and then live alive. Here's where the switch happens. If you don't begin to consider yourself dead to the old thing, you'll never live new to the old thing. Does that make sense? There's a story I heard once that actually happened like this. Uh, a, a man was was a deadbeat dad and and lived in a rocking chair, not a rocking chair, an easy chair after he would come home from work and he would drink all night long and he would uh, just self-medicate in any way he could with, with drugs of every kind. He'd watch filth on the TV and his, he had this God-fearing wife with kids and, and every day they would exist around this issue, this problem. And he was just the worst person. He would cuss his kids and he would beat his wife. And uh, he had every hang-up, every vice imaginable. One Sunday, they go to church, and he would take, she would take their kids to church, and they would pray for their husband, pray for their husband, pray for their dad. And he come back one day, and he's dead in his lazy boy chair. He's dead in his lazy boy chair, and they're sorrowful and all that stuff, but they also have a, a new lease on life because this guy is dead. He's laying there in his easy, easy chair next to all the things that are the filth of life, the stuff on the TV, stuff on the internet, bottle of Jack Daniels, the pills, the drugs. They're all there laying next to a dead man, but they're not affecting the dead man anymore because the dead man is the one who participates in the thing. Okay. So when the Bible says that Jesus died, he was in death. And then he's risen again. The Bible says that death can't affect him anymore. In the same way this, this man dies in his easy chair, the same things, the same hang-ups, the same problems, except for those things can't affect him anymore because he's moved on in death. The Bible says you might be existing every single day with the same hang-ups, the same stuff, and you're like, you know what, I'm just self-preserving. I'm living this Jesus life until we get to heaven, except for you're supposed to be dead to the things that affect your life and are destroying it every single day. 
There's enough people who are still living the same thing. He's talking about, you know, I'm just raised life in Christ. It's not really working the way I want it to. But, you know, someday I'll be better, little by little, little by little, little by little. So you've got to be dead, you've got to be alive. But you have to consider yourself dead. I want you to to write that down. Consider. Consider is an interesting word because that means that you have to be convinced with your mind, your heart, your body. Consider. Consider. I know people are walking past things every single day and not considering themselves, contemplating, putting their mind to it. Have you ever been completely considered yourself different than you were before? Like, you know, like, um, for instance, in divorce, one day you're married and then you're not, right? Whether you feel like it or not, you're still divorced, right? Those that have been divorced, you know what I'm talking about. It may take a lot of changing to get there. Some people are like, woo, I'm divorced, right? <laughs> and they go out and they do something and they come back home and they're like, ah. Still, still weird. I don't feel divorced. Why? Because your habits are established by a truth. But you have to consider yourself divorced. Otherwise, you're just an old crazy lady living the same old life with somebody who's not married to you anymore. See what I'm saying? When you have kids, you are different. New responsibilities. All these things happen. You consider yourself not with kids. You can wake up every single morning and hope they fend for themselves. But you have to get it up and go, you know what? I just come to the realization that my life will never be the same as it was before. You have to consider yourself a parent. I talked about considering yourself married. I, I talked about a few weeks ago about, you know, things are different when you're married. We get this on everything else. For those like that served in the military, one day you're a soldier, the next day you're not. You wake up and go, you know what? I'm not in battle. I'm not, I'm not in military anymore. And then life is weird. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to get used to. But you have to consider yourself. Otherwise, you will drive yourself insane. With Jesus, he dies and rises again. And the Bible says that when he died, he died once and for all. Once for all. Once for all. What does that mean? He died for your sins. Once. You're trying to die for your sins every single day. You're living in death every single day. Well, you know what? I'm just an old uh, And you know what? I just can't get past it. You know what? I just, uh, blah, 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 blah. Living down here, Jesus already died. Some people are trying to pay off their sins to Jesus, which is ridiculous if you think about because if I bought something for you and you tried to pay it off, we would not be friends anymore. Like, shut your mouth. I paid for it once, for all. It's done. It's done. Jesus died once for all so that you could die and live a new life. But you have to consider yourself dead to those things. Mm. That's where the difficulty comes in. This is where we settle. We settle in this place that feels like old. It feels like self-preservation instead of true transformation because we're not willing to consider ourselves. We're living in old habits like the divorced person, like the person with kids, like the military man. Just go through it all. 
you have to change your mind about it. And once you go, you know what? I used to be that way, but I'm not that way anymore. Then you have to live it out. This is what Pastor talked about last week. You have to live it out. There's enough people talking about their sins, living in their sins, living in their habits, living in their problems, living in their circumstances. What you have to do is what the Bible says in chapter 6. It says, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Because the life that we live, we live in Christ. Okay? In other words, that your actions might be down here, but your status is up here. Okay? If you keep talking about your actions down here, even though your status is up here, you'll never live where God wants you to live. Period. Period. Living in the same old thing. We call it self-preservation. Down here. He says, but you're here. You have to consider yourself here. And then he says, we say, well, you know, it's just old habits, just old temptations. Just I can't shake it. I don't know what to do. He says, this is what you do. He says, you consider yourself alive with Christ up here. It's a start there. He's like, and then, and then you offer yourself. You offer yourself. Listen, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, but offer yourself to God. Most of us, if you live down here, you're going, okay, God, I'll do better for you. I can be better. I can shake this, and it's not working. And so then you go, you know what? I'm just an old sinner. This is where I'll be forever. Hopefully Jesus comes back soon because maybe, possibly, hopefully I'll go and we get this over with. You start living past a certain age, and you're like, you know what? I just... You know, it's fine. Self-preservation. Let's just get there. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. For all the wrong reasons. Because you just want to get past this self-preservation. He says, if you go up here, you live in this new life. Now what happens is your behavior may swing down here. Then you go, no, it's not me. You come back up here. This is where I am. And you look down and you go, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really not that person anymore. It's not the same. Feels that way sometimes, but I'm offering myself to God. Don't offer yourself to this. Offer yourself to God. And it's a pendulum, sometimes a swinging thing, where we can go down there, we can stay there. Or we can get back to where God says we are. New life. New life. And so, really quickly in Philippians. Philippians. Uh, give me the other one. This is what Paul writes to the Philippians. It's, it's kind of the same thing. He's like, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. I used to hear this verse when I was a kid. It's actually, we had Royal Rangers mission as the Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. You know, we learn on Wednesday nights. And the girls, that was their voice, and they, or their verse. And they would say, they would say, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are kind. Like, you know, the lullaby league, was it? Lullaby, I don't know. The munchkins, that's what it sounded like. Whatsoever things you learn. Paul is saying this. He's like, look, I was the deadest of the dead. I was religious. I was working on things. I, th- I thought I had life, but I was just self-preserving. When I really died to myself, I began to live in Christ. It's a new day. New day. And he writes most of his letters around this idea that Jesus Christ will save you if you live and offer yourself to Christ. That's it. Offer yourself to Christ. And we all go, that sounds so good, Paul, but how? And he goes, whatsoever things are good. Give me the other part, because I don't have memorized. I wasn't the girl uh, on the girl team. Uh, whatsoever things are true. Noble. Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. Admirable. Anything is excellent, praiseworthy. Think about those things. Religious mindsets have taught you. I know I'm down here, dirty and old. I know. I'm working on it. And you're so focused on the things you have to change. You're actually your sins. You're like, I'm I'm focused on my sin. I know I'm terrible. I know I'm addicted. I know it's just my attitude. I know I'm impatient. I know I just can't. I know, I know I'm I'm working on it. He says, no, he's dead. (laughs) Those are dead. You're alive. So then your perspective is, I'm going to focus on what's true. I'm alive in Christ. I'm alive in Christ. He says, consider yourself dead but alive in Christ. Whatever's right, whatever's pure, my goodness, don't we think about things that are so impure, so negative, just things that are completely devouring our minds. Think about what's pure. This is, this is the message version. It's paraphrased, but I want, I want to read it for you. It goes like this. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say... You do your best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic. That's the real deal. Compelling, gracious. This is my favorite part. The best and not the worst. The beautiful and not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you've learned from me what you heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. You see, God wants you to be what he designed you to be long before he put you in your mother's womb. If you keep living a religious, dead life of trying to get it all together, trying to get it all together, because trust me, like when I, I go, if I go to the gym with Chuck, I'm like, you know what? If I just went to the gym and talked about all the exercises I didn't do 
and all the crap that I know I shouldn't eat and how many times I miss the gym and how, but you know what? I'm getting it together. He'd be like, would you just sit on the machine and do something? But you don't understand. I just, I'm working on it. He's like, yeah, sit down. Do something. You know, I, one day I want to be more healthy. He's like, just decide that you are. Go. Commence. Begin. Start. But you don't understand. I'm so unhealthy. Decide you're healthy and go. Consider yourself dead and alive to Jesus Christ. How are you going to do that? Think about the best. Things to praise, not things to curse. I'm going to think about things that are pure and lovely. You know what's lovely? The trees. You know what's lovely? The snow. I don't know if it's so cold. I don't know. I like, you walk outside and you say, I love the snow. And then you walk outside and you see the mud and the melting snow and you're like, ah, everything's still filthy. The car is filthy. My kids are filthy. You walk out and say, you know what? I love the mud. You got to live in Jesus. Because he has died, paid for it, and given it to you to live. If you'll consider it and offer your life to him every step of the way. Stand to your feet wherever you are. We just lift your hands where you are. Just close your eyes. Father, we love you. We know that you've You've paid a price. We don't always understand it, but we do talk about it because we realize it's not free. I pray that our minds, our hearts will be transformed in understanding that we are, we are not who we were. We don't have to live down there. We're raised up. We can consider ourselves dead to that old thing. I pray that you'd break, break addiction and habits Lord, you break just the spirit of lust that has come on us for so many different reasons and so many different things. That you give us good attitudes. The joy of the Lord be our strength. The peace of God would rule and reign in our hearts. Or let self-control be like a rushing river in this place. Let the love of God transform our relationships. Give us kindness and gentleness towards others and our, our family and our, our friends and Give us the Spirit of God to rule and reign in our lives. We need you, Jesus. Forgive us for talking about how lowly we are when you have set us high. And give us the life you've always dreamed us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give God a big praise today?